0: journey in a series, 30 Sayings of the Wise, that comes right from the book of Proverbs. If you haven't been here with us, we're glad that you're here today, and we're walking our way through these 30 sayings that are right in the middle of the book of Proverbs. Solomon kind of pointed them out and said, hey, take a look at these. And so we've been doing that each week. We've been grabbing a few of them and going over them. Today, we'll look at 25, 26, 27, and 28, and we'll see that these are issues of the heart. And we're going to see that wisdom moves us to higher ground. I'm sure today there'll be portions of this message that it'll apply right to your heart. Either it'll affirm you, it'll challenge you or convict you. Our hope is this, as it's already done with me, that it'll cause us to put these wise thoughts, these wise principles into action. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 24. And we're gonna read verses 10 through 18 today. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will be glad to place one in your hand. But turn to Proverbs chapter 24, and we're going to read verses 10 through 18 today. When you find that, stand with me and we'll read it together. Proverbs 24, and we're going to read verses 10 through 18 today. Proverbs 24, verses 10 to 18. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. If you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? "'Rescue those being led away to death. "'Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. "'If you say, but we knew nothing about this, "'does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? "'Does not he who guards your life know it? "'Will he not repay everyone "'according to what they have done? "'Eat honey, my son, for it is good. "'Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. "'Know also that wisdom is like honey for you. "'If you find it, there's a future hope for you, "'and your hope will not be cut off.' Do not lurk like a thief near the house of the righteous. Do not plunder their dwelling place. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. Or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from them. You may have a seat, but turn your eyes to verses 10 and 11. If you falter in a time of trouble... How small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. Be a person of action and not just words. We're finding that with wisdom. Wisdom is more than a knowledge and understanding or insight. It's taking knowledge and understanding insight and it's putting it into action. Wisdom puts it into action. And so Solomon begins this discourse, these sayings today, by reminding us, be a person of action, not just words. And he tells us that the true test or character of a person is revealed when they walk through hardship, when they walk through difficulty, when they walk through trials. Only then will the strength that you have in Christ Be shown. And he even says it this way. He says, if you falter in a time of trouble, hardship, or difficulty, how small is your strength? It's not until we are tested that true strength in Christ is revealed. God's power is constant on the other hand, regardless of what we face. James also reminded of this truth in the New Testament. Just listen to what James had to say regarding Trials and tribulations. James said it this way. Listen to James chapter 1. James said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's this picture that he gives us that we should count it all joy. Because in the process of going through this trial, if we let it finish its course, if we purse it through through this difficult time, at the end of this finish line, when we get to the end of this finish line, there's maturity. We become mature. But if we shortcut this process, if we bail out here because it's too hard, we don't like it, we don't like him, we don't like her, we don't like these conditions, we shouldn't have this, I shouldn't have to deal with it. If we come up with this litany of excuses and we bail, we will never become the people that Christ wants us to be. We will continually fall over and over again, lacking our maturity because we continue to bail out. And so Solomon says, you want to see real strength? Let's see what happens when troubles or trials or hardship comes your way. James reminds us to finish the race. And so often I pray. I pray for staying power for grace community. I pray for staying power for my kids. I pray for staying power for my marriage. I pray that we won't bail out when hardship comes. We won't bail out when we're opposed. But we'll run the course. We'll finish the race so that we can become mature. But how often do we bail out? I believe it becomes a pattern of our lives. The reason we bail is because we've learned to bail in other areas. We have this system that says, it's too hard. It's too difficult. I can't believe this happened to me. And we come up with all these excuses. Even happens in exercise. We start out with a plan. I wanna get healthy. I wanna take this temple that God lives in and make it as fit as possible so that he gets the glory. But exercise comes along. We wake up one day, we're excited. We're going to take off. We tell everyone, we're going to conquer the world. Day two comes along, we pull out. Day three, before we know it, there's an excuse too hard, too difficult. We never finish. So we never mature. We bail out. We bail out in our eating habits. We bail out in our Bible reading. We bail out in counseling because we don't like the way they said this. They're taking her side. They're taking his side. Let's go find someone that agrees with me. We bail out on our jobs. We bail out on our education. We bail out on our marriages because they're too hard and difficult. And Solomon's saying, you want to see real strength? I'll show you real strength. When trials and hardships come, you cling to the rock of Christ and you finish the course. You persevere so that you're mature, not lacking in any way. Beautiful picture of This proverb is seen in the way we live out our lives. And so Solomon is saying, it's time to move on to maturity. Some have been Christians for 20, 30, and 40 years, and you're still wallowing in defeat. Some of you are adults walking around in diapers, not growing up. And I would say, quit blaming your temperament. Quit blaming your family. Quit blaming your personality. Quit blaming your father, your mother, your grandfather. Quit the blame game and trust in the strength of Jesus Christ. Start looking to Christ instead of people. That's how you'll finish. So James is saying, you need to take that attitude. Solomon is saying, that's what a finisher looks like. It begins with our words and action. Some of you give up before you even do it. You tell everyone, it's so hard. It's so difficult. I I won't be able to. And you post stuff like, I can't believe I got to do this. Before you even start it, you've already given up. And I'll guarantee you, you will bail out at some point. We need to start talking to ourselves instead of listening. Otherwise, you will be 50, 60, 70 years old and still blaming something from the reason or given a reason why you can't be the person Christ intended you to be. Yesterday, in our 5k race, there was a turning point. You had to go 1.5 miles. You had to get out there and then you had to come back. And it's real easy as you're running. Oh, my side hurts. I'm stopping. I'm quitting. Oh, I don't want to do this. I am give up. It's real easy in that training process. John Corbin went out in Anastasia with their family. They decided they would run and be part of this course. And his son, Caleb, gives a perfect picture of what we look like when we quit, when we bail out. We get halfway there and we just don't finish. Look at their son at the turnaround point. This is what happened to him. Take a look at this. <laughs> How many of you feel that way sometime? John, and he said he got to the 1.5 mark and said, I'm done. I am finished. I'm not going any farther. It's too long. It's too hard. It's too difficult. I am finished. That's what it looks like. How many of you look like that from time to time? How many of you realize that the only way that you'll ever become a tour in your faith, the only way that you'll ever finish the race and look and become the person that Christ wants you to be is if you take your eyes off of your grandma, you take your eyes off of your personality, you take your eyes off of your temperament, you take your eyes off of your path, you take your eyes off of your father and your mother, and you put them on Jesus and you finish That's what Solomon is saying. It is time for some of you. It is past time for some of you, Solomon is saying. To gain strength in the struggle instead of allowing it to zap you. Beautiful picture of what it could look like. So he continues here. He says, now rescue those being led away to death. Make sure you do that. Because it says, hold back those staggering towards slaughter. You see, some of us think, well, everyone has it so difficult. I have it so hard. It's so difficult to press on. Well, Paul told us this in 2 Corinthians. Just listen to this. You don't need to turn there. Paul gives us a picture of how difficult it can be and what we can do in response to that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 8 to 18. Listen what Paul said. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, We also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us up with Jesus and present us to yourself. And this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Then Paul says this. Therefore, do not lose heart, grace community, church. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Finish the race. That's what Solomon is saying. Don't bail out. Don't get up. Paul is saying, listen, even though all hell is breaking loose around you and you are being stripped of stuff, you can stand up in the power and authority on the inside in Jesus Christ. We have the ability to finish the race. And if you want to be mature in Christ, you got to finish the race. Listen, it's time to get rid of the excuses. People are tired of hearing them anyhow. After a while, when people come to you and say, oh, it's so hard. It's so difficult. I got to go do this. I got to run. I got, I can't believe I've I've been working on this for 150 years. Just shut up. Go do it. It's time. It's beyond time. Wise people do it and not talk about it. Solomon reminds us too that our ability to stand in the face of adversity is directly related to who you think your God is. And boy, do we have a lot of Christians out there that see their God as a little God and they see their enemy, Satan, is way, way, way too big. Now he reminds us to put it into action. He says if you see someone in mortal danger staggering through to death and the Spirit, you're, you're, you, you find about it, you read it, maybe it's someone beside you, maybe it's someone on the other side of the world. He said if you see it and the Spirit prompts you to do something about it, you need to rescue them. Don't just say, I'm going to do something. Don't just wish somebody else does something about it. Do something about it. Because otherwise, willful ignorance is a sin. He says, we cannot dodge the promptings of the spirit to help others. We cannot claim ignorance or he will judge our hearts for it. Proverbs twenty one thirteen says it this way Whoever shuts their eyes to the cries of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Many of us have had things that we've witnessed and seen, and we see it, and he said, If you see someone that's heading to death, you see someone that's being slaughtered. And it's been brought to your attention and you do nothing about it. James tells, when I was a kid, I memorized James chapter 5 and verse 7. says, to him that knoweth to do good and does it not to him, it is sin. Willful ignorance is sin. If you see it, don't pass the buck. Do something. Get on the airplane. Fly to the other side of the world. Greet someone. Love someone. Quit coming up with your excuses of why you can't do something, James is saying. And Solomon is saying but I believe it begins by practicing it now. It's like helping your neighbor in need. It's seeing your coworker that needs a hug and, and you're a gal and you say, hey, I see you're struggling. Come here, let me give you a hug and pray for you. It, it's seeing a, a, a need in a family and it's response. It's taking your gifts, abilities, and talents. I believe it's a pattern already. I don't believe we just go from point A to point Z and we end up on an airplane trying to help people who are being pushed out by ISIS. I believe it's got to be a pattern in our lives where we've already stepped out in faith, where we already help people. We take our gifts and abilities to help people. There's a hairdresser in New York City that did this well. He took his gift, he took his ability, he took his talent, he saw a need, and he responded. Instead of wishing that someone would do something for these people, he took his talent and ability, step one, and he put it into action. Look what can happen when we begin to practice this in our daily lives. Watch this. I feel good about
1: this. (laughs) I really do. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Of course. My name is Mark Bustos. I'm a hairstylist based out of New York City. On my days off, I go out on the street and I look for homeless people um, to help out, whether it be a haircut or just a conversation. Just try to help out in any way to, to brighten someone's day. Nice to meet you. What are you thinking about a haircut today? Free? Free. My I'm I want a whole You want a whole Is this my seat? This is your seat. That's OK. seat, my friend. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think grooming helps them take the next step in life just by giving them a little bit more confidence or even to just walk a little taller. I want to feel good when I go on my interview next week. Now I feel that way. I feel real good. Don't you
0: love seeing stuff like that? See, it's not rocket science. It's, it, it just isn't. It's, you see someone in need, you take your gifts and abilities. Some of you have been sitting on the sidelines for way too long. And you're just hoping that other people will do it. And God has been pricking your heart for years in areas. And you've been feeling compelled to do it, and you just keep quenching the spirit. Wisdom says quit talking about it and do it. How do you think orphans in Asia were ever rescued? How do you think we've ever been, were blessed to meet Tutu? Because she had a dream and she prayed for seven to 10 years that God would give her a chance to reach orphans. And you know what she did for She went and sold her own house so that orphan kids could live in. And she lived in a tent to rescue the first orphans in Asia. How do you think we did it as a church? A need was presented on a Sunday morning and you gave and some of you still aren't giving to Asia's hope, but you have the means and ability to do so. And you're just thinking, I hope someone else does it. And the spirit of God has even moved your heart to give yet you'll leave and not do anything about it. How do you think $13,000 and $250,000 was raised for Iraq to rescue refugees who were literally going to be slaughtered by ISIS because you gave you sacrificed so that they could be rescued how was 13,000 given you because people felt compelled by the spirit to sign up for a race some knew they couldn't run so they walked And by walking, they surrendered a piece of that entry fee that will now go and feed and house refugees in Iraq. It's not rocket science. But Solomon says, wise people act out their faith. John said it this way. First John, listen to this. You don't have to turn there. But in First John, John said this. First John chapter 3. He reminds us of who we are. And if we see a need, he said this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how? Can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but in actions and truth. Put it into action. When you see a need, respond to it. Wisdom moves. It doesn't think about it longer. It doesn't talk about it longer. It puts it into action. Look at the next saying that Solomon has for us. Look at verse 13. And 14, he said, eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is like honey for you. If you find it, there is a future what for you? Hope for you. And your hope will not be cut what? Oh, sweeten your relationship with Jesus by seeking wisdom and his word. Embrace wisdom, Solomon is saying and believe that there's hope of future for you when you walk in wisdom. Honey, wets the appetite he's telling us? And so can wisdom. When you enjoy becoming wise, there is hope for you and your future. Not only here, but we're promised an eternity with Jesus Christ. So he's saying, continue to hold on. Continue to walk out your faith. Because no matter what comes your way... There will be a day when there'll be no tears, no sin, and no darkness, and it's eternity in heaven with Christ. So look forward, Christ followers. Don't let these temporary things around you drag you down. Live out your faith, hungering for God's word, longing for wisdom, and living it out. I don't know if you realize this or not, but when a Jewish child in the Old Testament would grow and want to become a rabbi, they would send the Jewish children to rabbi school and to Jewish school. One author says it this way regarding honey. He said, in the ancient Jewish culture, formal education begins at six years of age. Jewish boys enrolled in the local synagogue called Bet Safar, which means house of the book. By the time they graduated four years later, they would have memorized the entire Torah. Now think about that. By the time a kid is 10 years old, 10 years old, he has already memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I look at that and think, what's our excuse? We can't even do a verse a week. And yet they're memorizing the whole Torah. This author goes on to say this. According to tradition, the rabbi would cover their slate, their writing with honey on the first day of class. And then the rabbis would instruct the class to lick the honey off their slate while reciting Psalm 119, verse 103. How sweet are the words unto thy taste, sweeter than honey to thy mouth. So literally, he would take the scrolls, he would lay out honey on them and he would tell them to lick the words, to taste and see that God is good and his word is good, that there's nothing sweeter than God's word. Let me ask how many of you have an appetite like that for God's word? A longing to know Christ, a longing to, to, to be able to live Christ, a longing to read his word. That each moment of your day, it's saturated with the beauty and the principles of his word alone. And Solomon is saying to us today, eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is like honey for you. And if you find it, there's a future hope. Listen, the word of God tells us that it can divide and conquer And it's able to to go to the bone and marrow of our life. It's alive and active. You want to come alive. You want to face your struggles. You want to be able to walk in this life and the power and authority. Then we must be readers of his word. Hungry for it. Now, I would encourage you. I pray this prayer all the time. Lord, give me an appetite. Give me an appetite for your word. So each day I pray out, Lord... God, help me to be hungry. Help me, help me to starve and feel like I can't make it unless I eat and taste your word. When's the last time you prayed, give me an appetite, God, for your word? Listen, God can give you the appetite. Because here's what I know to be true. If I'm not in his word, I will get off the path. I will think more about my own self and my own desires than God's desires. I really encourage you every day, Lord, give me an appetite. Help me to be hungry if I haven't spent time in your word. You go without food a few days, you get hungry. Get to the point where if you go without God's word daily, you are hungry. I mean, you're climbing Mount Everest to find food. When's the last time you really hungered for God's word? Solomon is saying, that's where wisdom is. You want to walk through this life? You want to stay on the straight and narrow? You want to mature? You want to get to the end and, and become the person? Then be students of his word. Because there's hope in his word. I would say it this way. It is worth the persecution and misunderstanding that make, take place when you follow him. People could call you weird. They could call you a wacko. And they might think that you're a Jesus freak. But listen, it is worth it. As I've been studying these sayings, I find great comfort knowing that no matter how man might respond to the steps of wisdom, Jesus is cheering us on.
1: Keep at it. Stay at it. Stay at it.
0: I also know this to be true from this text. It's a reminder. We can accept finite disappointment because we never lose infinite hope. No matter what's been handed to you, no matter if it seems impossible, there is always hope in Jesus Christ we can overcome. So as I was thinking about this, this hope he's talking about here, I love this picture of of him reminding us of the hope that we have. He says, if you find it, there's a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off. And I was thinking about the hope that I have in Christ and that you have in Christ. And so I just began to type these thoughts that were coming to mind. And here's what I came up with. Just, just listen to this. Hopefully this will be encouragement to you. I typed this this week. Hope gets me out of bed in the morning. It wipes away my tears. It removes my need to complain. It erases my past failures. It changes the odds of overcoming an obstacle. It sheds discouragement. It lifts my chin when it wants to hang. It creates a smile when all hell breaks loose at home. It strips me of depression. It picks me up when I fail my God. It puts my feet on new ground when I want to hide in the basement. Hope, true hope, trust fully in the promises of God and his word.
1: That's what Solomon is saying. Like, you're not going to find it anywhere else. Cling to his word. Let it
0: satisfy your appetite and your cravings. So Solomon says, when hope is there, you'll become the person that Christ created you to be. You show me a Christian who is filled with hope, I will show you a person who walks in wisdom. You can't have one without the other because you're saturated in God's word. Look at the next one. Hopefully this brings you great encouragement today. Look again when it says in verse 15 and 16. Do not lurk like a thief near the house of the righteous. Do not plunder their dwelling place. For though the righteous will fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Grace picks us up when we fall. I love what he says. Do not lurk near the home of the righteous. Don't interfere with God's children. It is futile to do so, and it's self-defeating to mistreat God's people, for they will triumph. It's a blessing that we have. And there are people out there, they're just longing for the fall failure of a Christian. They're longing for an enemy who once was a Christian, and they're just lurking at their house like a thief, waiting for them to fall, so they can say, told you so, they're not who you thought they were ready to rejoice, ready to just proclaim, look, I told you so. And and wisdom says, no, don't lurk near the house like a thief of the righteous. Do not plunder their dwelling place. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. I find great comfort in knowing that righteous people fall. (laughs) I'm one of those people and so are you. I find great comfort that yes, we will be lifted up by the grace of God. I find great comfort knowing that we have a God that just doesn't keep count. Like the eighth time, you're done. The ninth time, you're done. You only get ten times in that area of your life. No, this, this picture, this, 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 this word seven means it's, it's the perfect number. It means it's fulfilled no matter how many, no matter how many times you fall, God will be there to pick you up and carry you and lift you up and get you back on your feet. We can get back up because of the grace and the power of Jesus in us. Yet we live in a disposable society. We are quick to throw people away who have fallen. We see no use for them. We say they had their chance. They blew their opportunity. And we become the people who wanted to throw stones at the adulterous woman that Jesus said, listen... For those of you who are without sin, you throw the first stone. Not one of us can.
1: Grace picks us back up, lifts us on
0: our feet and says, I love you. Now repent, get back up, finish the race, get to the end so that you can become mature in every way. By the way, this proverb is not meant to embolden brazen sinners, but to comfort those who sorrow deeply over their sin. The promise is of a perseverance of faith. When you fall, God's grace picks you back up. I find great comfort when Jeremiah lamented in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22 to 23. Jeremiah coined these words and they became inscripturated forever through the Holy Spirit. He said, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. Any amens for that? He doesn't ever, ever give up on us. Falling is a fact of life. Before you ever walk, guess what? You fell. Think about it. as a kid. Think about when you were a child and your mom tells you a story. Think about it. for those of us who are parents and watch our kids walk. How many times did they fall before they walked? Like, you watch them. It's like, there they go. Bam. We didn't stand over top of them and say, loser. No.
1: You know what we did? We walked in and we picked them up. You know what we said? Look how far you've come. You made it two steps. You made it three steps. Hey, everybody, my kid walked three steps. We didn't see it as a
0: failure. We saw it progress. And I believe it's the way now. We didn't come up when they fell and say, stay down, loser, stay down. Don't get up. No,
1: we said, get up. I love you. Now run to the fetish. I believe God does the same. I believe when we fall that first time, That second time, that third time, that fourth time, that fifth time, that sixth time, that 7,000th time. He comes in and he picks us up with grace and says, look how far you come. Get up and finish the race. He doesn't come in and say, stay down, loser. No, he's a God of grace. And that is powerful. And we need to be those same kinds of parents who quit pointing out the faults in our kids. And we say, look how far you have come. Praise God. I find great comfort in this. To know that the God of the universe
0: doesn't require us to be perfect. And by the way, that same power that raised Jesus from the grave can raise us from our own failures.
1: It's called grace. And that's what happens. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave, we're down We want to hide in our sin and we repent and we look up and there's this God that's waiting for us. He's saying, get up, get up. I love you. And we're able to get back and walk and finish because of his grace. But look at
0: the end of this saying. It says, though the righteous fall seven times they rise again but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes
1: literally there is no one there to pick the wicked up
0: but our failure is not final Solomon says so get up listen to me I don't know where you're at I don't know what journey you've been on but listen to me
1: my God is a God of grace get up Finish the race that's been marked out for you. Finish it. Finish it.
0: Because saints are just sinners who fall down and get back up. Look at the last one. It's kind of connected to this one. Look at the 28th one. It says, Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. Or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from them. Don't gloat over your enemy's failures. How many of you were just convicted when you read, heard that verse being read? Don't wish misfortune upon an enemy's life. How many of you are wishing the worst for someone who's done something to you? For a boss, or an employer, or a coach, or a teacher, or a mother, or a father, or a grandmother, or a wife, or a husband, or a pastor, or a church. And you, you're wishing misfortune on them. Wisdom says don't gloat or rejoice over an enemy's failure. Let's face it, left to our own thinking, you and I can conjure up some pretty selfish thoughts and one of them is wishing misfortune for someone who has wronged us. Solomon reminds us in the saying, Do not gloat, because if we do, the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from them. When I read this again this week, I had to ask this question. I wonder how often God's judgment for people has been called off because of our gloating. Like I wonder. Like he saw us rejoicing.
1: (laughs) It's about time. Stick it to him.
0: And God comes down and pulls his wrath. God comes down and pulls his judgment. And for us who wanted to rejoice, we can't. God doesn't look lightly upon us who gloat and wish, wish misfortune on someone who's wronged us. The Lord will disapprove and turn his wrath away. So how do you know? Like, like, how do you know that you're wishing misfortune on someone? How do you know if you've been rejoicing or gloating over someone's failures? I want to ask you to do something. This week, I began to type these thoughts of the ways that we, we gloat, or we wish misfortune on someone. And I want to ask you to do something as you hear this. Just ask the Spirit. Spirit, convict me. Show me. And if something comes up and He reveals something, I'm going to ask you, just repent of it. Here are some ways. How do you know? You say to anyone who will listen, I told you so. <laughs> you thought she was that, didn't you? I told you. No one could be that good. I told you. Just wait. I told you what happened. <laughs> Or you secretly hope that their business venture fails because they did you wrong. Well, I hope now that they'll see that they really needed me. Like they can't make it without me. And he doesn't know that I did all this and I did all that. And it's because of me that we made it. And he'll see. Well, I'll I'll show her. I'll leave. I'll show her. Listen, that's not the attitude of a Christ follower. That's wishing misfortune upon someone that has wronged you. You retweet about their failure. Like, for the life of me, I don't understand this. It is so unbiblical and it's so sinful for Christ followers to retweet about another brother or sister's failure. Like, I don't understand this. I watch it happen on social media often and it disturbs me. When I see another brother... Post about another brother's failure. Here's why it disturbs me. Because the word of God says we're supposed to go to them and confront them and talk to them. And then if so, after we've done that, we're supposed to ask him, Hey, do you mind if I put on social media what happened to you? How often do you think that happens? It doesn't happen. There's something that happens inside of a person that wants to share an article, that wants to retweet a sin. It makes them feel better about themselves. Listen to me, that is called wishing misfortune. So don't get caught up in the game of the world that says, let's just talk about all the horrible things people have done. Or you find yourselves feeling more righteous because you knew they would fall. (laughs) See, I didn't fall, but they did. You feel vindicated because they failed. Like secretly, you're like, it's about time. I feel better now. Let's, let's go eat some cherry pie. Or you have this incessant desire to track their lives. You might not go to them, but you ask someone, hey, how's so-and-so doing? I haven't been there for a while. How are they doing? And you're just hoping they say, oh, not so good. And you're like, are you gloating or wishing misfortune?" You feel the need to remind others of all the reasons you don't like them. Well, let me tell you what I know about them. You enjoy reading the story about their failure. You refuse to forgive them. You try to rally support of others to your side to stand against them. And so you say, how can you still follow them? How can you still believe that? Don't you know what they did? Hey, come with me. Listen, if someone ever does that to you, you stand in their face in the name of Jesus Christ and you confront them in love and tell them that is sin. You can no longer see anything good that they have done because of the thing they did to you. And so you can't see any good. It's like, you just remember that one thing. You might be gloating and wishing misfortune upon them. You are quick to not give them credit for any good they have done. Like, all you remember is this, and God might have turned their life around, and they're doing all these things for the Lord, but you would never, ever. In fact, you see them coming, and you just turn your back. Someone brings them up in conversation, and you leave the room because you're not going to entertain anything good about that person. You might be wishing misfortune and gloating. You become jealous. Of their future success and even angry with God. Like Lord how can you
1: do that? Don't you know what they did to me?
0: You refuse to do anything to support them. Even if it's a noble cause. Even if it's a noble cause. You would never support them. You post statements on social media that mock them indirectly. Or repost blogs and writings trying to discredit them in a discreet kind of way. And ultimately, you long for their demise. Is there anyone? Is there anyone in your life? Is any name surfacing? Is any relationship surfacing? Listen to me. You can't carry that in your heart and follow God all in with that. God does not look upon that and say, good job, it is sin. So what do you do with that? Here's what you do. You pull away and you repent. You say, Lord, I don't want to stay here. Because I'll never mature. I'll never get to the finish line. I'll never become the person that you wanted me to be. God, you won't even allow me to become that person until I do. You get on your knees and you repent and say, I am sorry. You go to that person and you tell them, I am sorry. I've been harboring this ill fortune upon your life. You repent. And you know what? You forgive them. And here's what full forgiveness is. I've talked many times with people. You know what full forgiveness is? You know when you've truly forgiven someone? When the cycle works this whole way around and the last action of true full forgiveness is that you can get on your knees and you can pray this prayer. Dear Lord, I pray that you would bless the socks off of that person. That's full forgiveness. If you're not there, then you're still working towards full forgiveness wisdom says we should love our enemies some of us are our brothers and to have compassion for them and to believe that god wants to redeem them god calls us to love our enemies like he already did on the cross there is nothing sadder in our world than for a believer to wish misfortune on another brother or sister The only way, the only way, listen to me today, the only way we can live out these sayings, the only way we can apply these principles to our lives, the only way that we can do it is by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. Let's be different. Listen, we have a chance to reach the world. Let's be different followers. Let's be different. Let's look different than the world. Let's don't repeat what the world is doing. Let's be Christ's followers that set aside, that stand up for what is truth and walk in wisdom so that the world can be won to Christ. You see, the only way it can happen is by the power that's in us. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in us. It is possible grace community church to do this if we walk in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit would you stand with me in closing please in prayer we're about to sing a song that articulates those words we're about to sing a song that declares that the same power that raised jesus from the grave lives in us and so, God, I'm going to ask that you would allow us to make this as a declaration to you as we sing it. That these words that we are singing is a declaration. That this is who we be. We will be overcomers. We will live differently. We will take the same power that raised you from the dead. And we will live out this kind of life and take these steps of wisdom. I don't know where you're at, but this is your chance by singing this song to God. And saying, God, from this day forward, I declare these truths to you. So as we sing, I encourage you to do so. And if you need extra time, there will be elders up front in both services to talk to.
1: But take the song and declare it as a declaration from this day forward. By the power and authority in Christ, I will stand above in wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.